Good morning, and welcome to all of you that are gathered here in the sanctuary, along with those listening on radio and watching us on Facebook Live. I have several announcements before we start our service this morning. First of all, I want to thank Clinton Hirschfeld and his daughter Reagan for the lovely prelude this morning. The Rose on the Altar is in honor of John and Norma Schreer's 66th wedding anniversary, which he'll be celebrating on November 26th. They're both sitting way in back. They thought they were going to hide from me, but I see them back there. So congratulations. Congratulations are also in order for Andrew and Olivia Arnett on the birth of their daughter, Lane Kara who arrived on Monday, November 15th, weighing 8 pounds and was 21 inches long. She is granddaughter of Troy Arnott and Robert Serrano, Robin Serrano, and Steve and Mary Beth Wilkie. I will extend the love and sympathy to the family of Joyce Howell, who entered into Christ's care on Thursday, November 19th. She was 20, 79. Visitation will be Monday, November 22nd, from 5 to 8 p.m. in the Ministry Center, and the funeral will be from 10, at 10.30 a.m. on Tuesday, November 23rd, in the sanctuary here. So please keep the Hovey family in your prayers. Uh, one other thing I noticed with the flowers on the altar, the other flowers on the altar are from the funeral of Carolyn Bumbar. They were given in her honor by her family. Uh, Tonight at 7 p.m. is a prayer and praise night here in the sanctuary. There will be music led by our praise team. There will be some testimonies, prayer and worship that you won't want to miss. It is open to everyone, so invite your friends and your family to come and join us tonight at 7 p.m. here in the sanctuary. The joint Thanksgiving evening service is at the United, United Methodist Church on Wednesday, November 24th beginning at 7.30 p.m., Pastor Joel will be providing the message that evening. Next Sunday, we will decorate the church following the morning worship. As the old saying goes, many hands make small work, so please try and join us for that day. That's next, next Sunday right after our worship service. There are other announcements in your bulletin. Please take the time to look them over. And now as we start our service this morning, those who are able, would you please rise and join me in our call to worship? This morning is taken from Psalm 100. Shout to the joy, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Please remain standing for our praise song this morning. Shout to the Lord.
You may be seated. Now, will the children come down for the children's chat with Clinton Hirschfeld? Got to put my head on here. Oh, gosh, these kids. Hey, come on down. How are we doing? Oh, man. All right, I thought about this a little bit. We got a few more coming on down. Oh, my goodness, what a good crew. As long as we don't have, like, more than 26, there won't be a riot. So I've got... I've got carrots, huh? So today's scripture is all about fellowship. Do anyone like a carrot? They want a carrot? They're pretty good. I mean, they're pretty decent. Here you go. Now, you can you take one. That's fine. Sure. Have a carrot. Have a carrot. See? Look at that. Look at that. Vegetarians here. Oh, yeah. Have a carrot. All right. You're good. You're before. Mr. Rick. No, you're good. All right. Miles, carrot. Jojo, carrot. Pretty good. All right. So. The scripture today is going to be about fellowship. And I don't know, is fellowship like something we ride in the ocean? Is it float? What is fellowship all about? Any ideas? Sounds fancy. Here's the idea. Fellowship is uh, people coming together. People coming together. And, and Christian fellowship is people coming together to do the right thing. So, all right. So I hope you enjoyed your carrots. I also have cookies. You don't like Oreos, do you? Oh, hey, now, easy. A little more enthusiasm there. All right. So here's the point. Here's my point. I, um, all right, be honest here. How many folks like Oreos, right? Do you, how many? Okay, now tell me the truth. How many of you will snitch an Oreo every now and then? Oh, Luke, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Now, you don't? Well, bless your soul, Mr. Honesty. I've seen you on the counter. You can definitely get there. So when I was your age, the Oreos came in a bag. They didn't have this really fancy sticky trap door thing on top. You ever remember the old Oreos where you open the bag on the end and then you slide the trap? You don't know. You're too young. You slide the tray out and you get the Oreos and you slide the tray back in. Yeah, I, know what those are. I am the master cookie snitcher because I would open the bag of Oreos, snitch the Oreos, put the bag back in the cupboard backwards so mom didn't even know it was open tricky right tricky huh was that a good thing to do is it good to snitch oreos what do you think probably not but it's really a lot of fun to do it right it's pretty good so i think fellowship is uh all the people around you that kind of help you do the right thing so if you're all by yourself it's kind of easy it was really easy for me to snitch an oreo especially if my mom wasn't going to find out ever Suddenly she goes to the cupboard. She thinks there's going to be Oreos in there, and it's, <laughs> it's an empty bag. <laughs> so that's what fellowship is for us. Fellowship is we surround ourselves with other Christians, and we hold each other accountable, and we help each other do the right thing. So it's probably a better idea to eat carrots more than it is cookies, and it's a little bit easier to do that if we're around people that are eating carrots instead of cookies. So that's kind of the idea of fellowship. We surround ourselves with, with folks that are going to help us do the right thing, and we help each other, hold each other accountable. And I think that's an important thing. So how many folks went to the Thanksgiving dinner Wednesday night? Oh, yeah. Oh, it was good. Really good. That's a great I example. Did. You did. You ate a lot. And when you go to those things, that's a great example of, of fellowship. You were helping tear down chairs, too. You were getting your sweat on. You helped with chairs, yeah. So, you know, Christian fellowship is getting together to help do the right thing. So when you go to Sunday school... You get to go into Christian fellowship with each other and you talk and you learn and you kind of build friendships that that, you know, you're all trying to please God and trying to do the right thing and love Jesus every day. So that's fellowship. So let's have a little fellowship right now and everyone can get an Oreo to go. All right. So pass these down real quick. Pass the Oreo. We'll just grab one. Grab just one. Maybe two. Just one. Just one, Dad. One. I'll have two. You convinced me. <laughs> oh, yeah. And yeah, there's no air horn. Yeah, I thought about that. All right. So thank you guys so much for coming up today. This is a great example of fellowship and snacks, which are two of the best things to get going on. And in fact, the scripture, listen to the scripture today. It's going to talk about how the disciples and the people in the Bible, they would get together in fellowship and they would almost always break bread, which means they'd almost always eat something. That was a great way to come together as a community and a great way to have fellowship with one another. Everyone get a cookie that wants one? No. You want one, Grace? 
Okay, well, let's fold our hands and pray, all right? And then we'll uh, head back to our seats. Dear Lord, thank you for bringing us together this morning in Christian fellowship. Um, Bless everyone here, these children, their young hearts and minds, and bless all of us here in the sanctuary and those worshiping with us remotely as well. Although there's nothing like seeing it live. So help us every day to be in fellowship with those around us and with your son. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Clinton. Thanks, kids. You guys can head back to your seats. I like how you let off with the carrots, because if you let off with Oreos, nobody would want one of those afterwards. All right. Well, today's offering is to go to support Carl Lanham and his ministry with Nations of Coaches. Uh, Many of you know Carl. He's been here to preach before. Um, He was previously uh, uh, stationed in Dayton, uh, working uh, with Athletes in Action, and then later on Nation of Coaches out of Dayton. Uh, This year, he recently moved down to South Carolina to be closer to family, but he's continuing his ministry with Nation of Coaches down in that area. So our offering today is going to go and support his ministry um, and encourage you to give as you feel led to give today. Uh, Before we invite the deacons forward, I just want to highlight one thing that Jack uh, highlighted for us this morning, and that is our praise and prayer night. I do want to encourage you to be here tonight at 7 o'clock, if possible. It's going to be a great opportunity to gather together and praise God and hear hear some testimonies from some people. This is the start of Thanksgiving week, of course, and so we are going to be taking time this evening to thank God for all that he's done um, and for, 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 specifically for his provision and presence in our lives. So I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Uh, there was one question that came up this morning. I want to just throw it out there. Somebody asked if there was going to be nursery care during the service tonight. Um, that was not something we had planned for, but there was a request for it. Um, so I just want to encourage you, if you are able in, um, you know, nursery is something that you are able to do and you'd like to help out by serving in the nursery during the service tonight, please reach out to me directly after the service. Um, and, and see if we can arrange something for that. There were, there was a request and we want to see if what we can do as a church family to try to honor that and help out in that case. So please reach out to me directly after the service if you are able to help in the nursery this evening. We now want to invite the deacons to come forward for offering as the choir blesses us with the offertory music.
As I mentioned, this is the start of Thanksgiving week, and as we gather here to praise God, we certainly have much to be thankful for. Scripture says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let's continue to thank God by singing our next praise song. Thank you, Lord. you to pray with me. We do thank you, Lord, today. We thank you for the many blessings that you have given us in our life. We come together to lift up our thanks and praise to you. Lord, we have so much to be thankful for your provision, the way that you bless us through the ordinary means of life. But most importantly, Lord, we thank you that you took our darkness and you gave us your light. We thank you that you took our sin and our shame, that you took our sickness and you healed all our pain. And so it is with a grateful heart, with a song of praise, that we lift up our arms and we bless your name today, Lord. Because we recognize that it is all because of you. And it is all through you, Lord, 
that we have what we have in this life. And so, Lord, we are grateful for our blessings and we thank you for your provision and your presence in our lives. But we also acknowledge today, Lord, that that sometimes we gather here and we have burdens that we carry. We have struggles that we face, challenges in this life that we don't know how to handle on our own. For some, this holiday season is going to be the first one without loved ones around the table. Maybe there's other challenges and other differences, Lord, that are going to be highlighted over the next several weeks. And so, Lord, we come before you and and acknowledge that though we face difficult times, each in our own way, we do still thank you, Lord, and praise your name even in the deepest, darkest valley. Because we trust that your word is true and your promises are sure, even on our hardest days. So even if everything isn't exactly the way we would expect it right now, even if things aren't working out the way that we would have planned, we still gather here in this place to praise your name and to thank you, Lord, because you are good and your love does endure forever. And so today we... We do want to thank you for Carl Lanham and his ministry to athletes, and we ask for your provision for him. And as uh, he's experienced a lot of change this past year with relocating to South Carolina, we ask that you would meet every one of his needs and that the offering we collect this morning would be a blessing to him and his ministry. We pray for those who lost loved ones recently. We think of uh, the Bumbar family as well as the Hobie family, Lord. We ask that you would be their source of comfort and strength during this time. May they know and believe your promises, Lord, which are, which are a source of strength and a source of hope. We also pray for our, those that are on our, our concerns list today, Lord, whether it is healing they need or provision or other circumstances we're not aware of, we ask that you would work and move according to your will. And we also pray for those in authority over us, as your word calls us to do. And on this day, we pray for our state government, our governor, our legislature, and our courts, Lord. We ask for your wisdom to be with them, that they would make decisions that are good and beneficial for our communities, and that they would have a hunger and thirst after your righteousness, and that they would be filled. We also think of those who serve in this church. We pray for this day for our confirmation teachers and our confirmation classes. We thank you for those volunteers who who take time out to teach our teenagers the important truths of your faith, of your word. And I pray that you would bless them and, and, and be with those classes, and especially those students, Lord, as they learn about what it means to follow you. And as we continue to worship you this morning, may your spirit guide us in all that we do. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being served. The word of the Lord.
I invite you to pray with me again. Father God, as we turn our attention to your word now this morning, I pray that you would guide or open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us this day. We thank you for your word, Lord, and pray that we thank you for your truth. We thank you for the way that it teaches us and challenges us and, and equips us, Lord, to serve you in this world. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would give me words to speak this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, So we have made it now to the end of our our faith statement. We are looking at the last section here today. As I mentioned last week, we're looking at what it means for us to be the church. We've talked about scripture and we talked about who God is and all that he's done for us and 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 the father the son and the holy spirit we've talked about sin and salvation and our destiny last week we talked about how we as individual followers of Christ can put him first in our lives or should put him first in our lives and today as we wrap up our discussion on the faith statement we're ta- we're going to talk about what it means for us to be the church together And as Clinton put during the children's chat, talking about what it means to fellowship together and encourage one another. And so as I've done in other weeks, I want to start by reading what the statement from the or what the paragraph from the faith statement says. And then we'll go on from there. It says, we believe that the church is the body of Christ. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And those who have truly received Christ by faith are members. The local church is the tangible expression of the body of Christ in a particular location. Since born-again believers all have the same Holy Spirit, the church should live united in purpose and in love for God and each other. The church exists to glorify God, spread the gospel, and make disciples of all nations. So it might be natural for us to start by asking, what is the church? Right? And, And my kids are down in the nursery right now, but if they were here, they could help me out with this. You guys know that old saying, right? The Here is the church, right? Here is the steeple. Open it up and see all the people. Close the doors and watch them pray, right? Open the doors, they went away, right? So, so when we ask ourselves, what is the church? We often associate the word church with certain things. And if we're honest with ourselves, and, and for me, a lot of times we associate church with a place, right? We go to church. We think that this building that we are in right now is the church. But the church is not the building itself, Another common misconception is that the church is something we do, right? It's, it's somehow uh, ingrained in, in our actions, right? And it's, and it's we, we got to do church, right? Something that we, we even call our worship gatherings on Sunday morning services, right? And it is an implication is that it's something that we are doing. Although that may be a little bit closer to the right answer, it's still not quite there. See, when the scripture talks about the church, it's talking not about a building, it's not talking about necessarily the people, or excuse me, the, the, the reason those two views are off is because they're somehow external from us as people, right? It's, it's something outside of us. It's the church building. It's our actions. But what scripture, when scripture talks about the church, it's talking about the church as the people, right? The people in the building are the church, not the building itself. The church isn't somewhere you go, and it's, and it's not just something you do or necessarily something you do. It's something that you are. In other words, you don't go to church and you don't do church. You are the church. We are the church. In Scripture, in the New Testament, the word that is often used for church is the word ecclesia, which means the assembly, the called out ones. Of the 110 times the word church is used in the New Testament, 108 of them is this form of the word. And so it's not referring to a building. It's not referring to the actions. It's referring to the people themselves. We are the church. All right, think about what our first church mission statement says. Again, this is something that's always kind of in front of us, but we don't always draw our, our attention to it, but we should from time to time. Our mission statement says that we are a community of faith who engage biblical truth to provide an environment where people mature as disciples of Christ, right? That is what we feel like God is calling us to do, who God is calling us to be as a church. And notice, right, what it starts, it starts right off with that word community, right? We are a community of faith. We're not a building. We're not an institution. We are a community. And so inherently, it is us, the people, 
that are the church. And so there's two parts of that mission statement that come into play as we talk about what it means to be the church. And the first is that aspect of community that I already talked about. Remember, the church is the people, not the building, not the institution, not what we do, but it's who we are. And the other side of that we'll see in our passage from Acts chapter 2 is about discipleship. That we are drawn together as a community for a particular purpose and reason. Right? And Clinton got to that already here today in the children's chat too. We are, we are called together to be disciples of Christ. All that stuff we talked about last week about making Jesus our Lord, right? Following Him and being obedient to Him. That all takes place in the context of community, of Christian community. And so there's four characteristics that I want to highlight for us that come right out of Acts chapter 2 that Maria read for us. So I want to encourage you to follow along there. But there's four characteristics that defined that early church. And just to give you a little bit of context here, too, it's important to note um, that, that Acts chapter 2, this is the very beginning right here. Right? If you were to read Acts chapter 2 from the very beginning, this is the, this is the story of the day of Pentecost. Right When the, the believers were gathered in the upper room and they were praying and the Holy Spirit came down upon them, right? Pentecost is often described or seen as the birthday or the birthplace of the local, of the, of the church, of the Christian community. And so from that room, Peter stands up and preaches a sermon talking about Christ and him crucified and the significance of what Jesus has done for us. And it is from that first gathering and that first sermon that the church was born. And we see that these are the things that they committed themselves to. And the, and the very first word that we should draw our attention to here, this isn't necessarily one of the characteristics, but it, but it, is, um, it describes all of them. If you look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says they devoted themselves. And that word devoted is important because it, it describes a commitment that was made, right? Being part of the church or being the church, I should say, isn't something that just happens by accident. It's not meant to be a passive participation, but it's a commitment that we make together to serve the Lord and serve one another. And so that we're devoted is important and indicates a strong commitment. And it takes devotion to Christ, to his church, to position ourselves for true lasting change. Right? Think about the physical training that it takes to run a marathon. I had a friend who just competed in a marathon recently for the first time in his life. We grew up together. We played football together in high school, and I never would have thought he would have run a marathon. When we were, when we were in football practice together in high school, we used to see the cross-country team running around every once in a while, and we thought, why would you ever do that? <laughs> why would you ever choose to run long distances? That's, what I, that's how our coach punishes us is he makes us run. But that's what people were choosing to do. And so we never, I never saw him as being a runner, never thought he would run a marathon. But just a few weeks ago, he competed in one in Indianapolis and, and finished. But he didn't just wake up that morning and say, I think I'm going to go run 26.2 miles, right? He couldn't, if he did, he never would have made it. It took commitment on his part to get to that point. It took months of running and training his body, getting up early to do that, to get to a point where he was able to run in that marathon and complete it. The same is true for us. To be the church, we need to commit ourselves. We need to devote ourselves to Christ and to his body. Because that's what's going to make the difference. It doesn't just happen on accident. It doesn't just happen passively on Sunday mornings. It's about the commitment that we make to the Lord and to each other. That's where true lasting change comes from. And so we see here the first characteristic then is, is discipleship, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so we have to ask ourselves, what was the apostles' teaching? What were they committing themselves to? Well, if you're to do a quick summary of the book of Acts, you see that we have examples of about 11 sermons in the book of Acts. Most were preached by either Peter or Paul. You got Stephen throwing one in there as well. But we get a glimpse at what that early teaching was all about. And the, and the main point, the, the three important characteristics of almost every one of those sermons was that they focused on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There was a call to repentance and forgiveness of sins. And there, it was littered with references to Scripture. Right? 
Just flip open to Acts chapter 2 or Acts chapter 7 or some of these other sermons that I can't remember quite where they are off the top of my head. But just all throughout the book of Acts, you see these sermons and those three characteristics are true of almost every one of those. Right? Notice what these sermons aren't about. They weren't five steps to a healthy marriage or how to be a better parent or better business practices. Right? Those things aren't necessarily bad, right? Those are good things that scripture certainly has uh, wisdom to share about. But those things just aren't the main thing. Right? The main thing is preaching Christ and Him crucified. Right? The main thing is how to follow Jesus in everything that we are and everything that we do. Right? And so we as a church, like that early church, we want to make sure that we keep the main thing the main thing. Keep Jesus at the center of our preaching and our teaching, of our worship, of our gatherings together. Because we want to keep the focus on Him and make Him Lord of our lives. And here's the thing. If we do that, right? If we commit ourselves to the apostles' teaching and keeping the main thing the main thing, all those other things will fall in place too, right? We will be... We'll have better marriages. We'll be better parents. We'll have better business practices, when we keep Jesus the Lord of our lives and keep our focus on him. Right? Those things are important. Those three things that I shared are important because they are central to what it means to to trust Christ. Right? Jesus' death and resurrection is the central message of the gospel. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus' death and his resurrection are of first importance. Which means other things are important too, but those two things, his death and his resurrection, are the central cornerstone of our faith. Our faith and our salvation hang on the truth of that message. And we're never going to outgrow our need to hear it. Because it's the foundation for every two, because it's the appropriate response to the good news of the gospel, right? When we are confronted with the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, it demands a response on our part. Right? We can't remain neutral or indifferent when we realize all that Jesus has done for us. We either need to receive it for ourselves or, or we ignore it and reject it. But we ought to fall on one of those two sides. When we hear the truth of the gospel, it demands a response. In fact, Jesus' first message at the start of the gospel of Mark is, repent, for the kingdom of, repent and believe the good news, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And of course, our faith is founded on God's word. As I said, those, the apostles' teaching was littered with references to scripture. And again, that, that needs to be a central part of what we do. How do we know what God has taught us? Or how do we know what it means to follow Jesus and make him Lord of our lives? God has provided a way for us to know, right? It's right here in his word. And so this needs to be our focus and, uh, and the central part of our teaching. The, the gospel message is proclaimed in God's word. And that's why we, we make it such an important part of our, of our lives as a church family. Second characteristic of that early church is prayer that I want to talk about here this morning. And I just want to talk about this one briefly. Prayer, at its very heart, is a two-way conversation. Right? God speaks to us through his word. Right? The apostles' teaching focused on God's word. This is God's revelation to us. He has spoken. And so prayer is our opportunity to respond to what he has already said to us in his word. He's initiated the conversation with us through the life of Jesus, through a relationship with him, through his word. And prayer is how we respond to it. And we do so individually and corporately. We do it sometimes with spontaneous prayers that are off the cuff. And we do so sometimes with written prayers that we all pray together like the Lord's Prayer. Right? There's no... In that sense, there's no right way or wrong way or better way or worse way to pray. Either one of those options is fine. But the most important factor is that we pray from the heart, that we are real and transparent. In in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had something to say about Pharisees and how they prayed, right? He says that don't be like them. They pray on the street corner to be heard and all of this stuff. And, And sometimes we take that to mean that we shouldn't ever pray out loud or pray in public. But I don't think that's what Jesus was getting at. Jesus wasn't talking about the fact that they prayed out loud. He was getting to the matter of their heart, the reason why they were doing it. 
Jesus, Jesus said that they were going to receive their reward in full because they were praying not to pray, but to be heard and seen by others, right? So it was a matter of their motivation, not, not the words they were saying or how they were praying. So we see from these first two characteristics that to be the church means that we as individuals, but also as a community, need to be fully committed and devoted to following Christ, right? And we need to make him our number one priority, But we also see that there is a certain community aspect that is important for us to remember, too. And that's where this idea of fellowship comes in. We're a a community of faith. We are not a, a country club or a civic organization. We are a community of faith. We are centered around a common goal, and that goal is to glorify God and to make disciples. Right? A group of we are a group of people who claim to follow Christ and are united around that common idea. Right? And that's what sets us apart from the rest of the world. Right? That's what sets us apart from other groups or organizations out there is because we as, as the church are committed to following Christ. So it doesn't matter what our background is. It doesn't matter what our experiences have been. It doesn't matter how much money you have or, or where you come from. Right? The one thing that, that draws us all together is that common faith in Christ. And that is what our fellowship is centered around. And Christianity in and of itself is inherently community-oriented, not individualistic. Right? It's, it's about being part of something greater than ourselves, being a part of God's family and God's kingdom. And so there's, there's two kind of aspects of this community. There's that horizontal community we have with other brothers and sisters in Christ. But there's also that vertical community, the bond that we have together in our relationship with the Lord. And so we, we have a, a, this horizontal community. Scripture often calls the church um, the body of Christ or the family of God. It's this idea of being connected together in Christ with him as our head. We need one another. We're not meant to do this on our own. right? God has placed us in this community. He's placed you here. And if you're listening on the radio or watching on Facebook, he's placed you and he's, he's brought you to this point, right? Where we are together. We are connected together because we need to encourage and strengthen and equip one another to follow him. Right? We are not meant to be isolated by ourselves, but, but we are called into community so that we can follow Christ together. And we can demonstrate, we can promote that kind of fellowship by loving one another. Right? By spurring one another on towards good works and towards maturity. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Again, that's Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Right? So we we're called to gather together regularly to, to encourage one another, spur one another on towards love and good deeds, right? That is what Christian community is about. And so we also have this, what I call vertical community, and that is represented in the breaking of bread, right? There's something significant about sharing a meal with another person. Clinton already brought up the Thanksgiving dinner we had this past week. We had about 100 people, if I had to guess here, sharing a meal together. There's just something significant when people come around the table in fellowship in that way. But the breaking of bread is a reference to more than just sharing a meal together, too. It's a it's a acknowledgement of the Lord's Supper. The term breaking of bread is a reference to how Jesus broke the bread on that night when he shared communion with when he shared when he instituted communion with his disciples. And so this this is just this is fellowship with each other, but it's fellowship with each other that's based on our common relationship with Christ. The one thing we have in common, as I said already, is infinitely greater than the one thing than anything else that could divide us. And so when we gather together, it's for that purpose. Of, and it's when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it reminds us of that shared relationship we have with Christ as individuals. But then we come together as a community to recognize that together. So we see those four characteristics that are described in Acts 2 committing themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayers. And so in our closing minutes here, I want to offer some closing thoughts about what that means for us as First Church, right? We, we looked at the church in Acts chapter 2, but obviously 
a few things have changed in the last 2,000 years, right? And I don't think, I, I think this passage here is, is descriptive, not prescriptive, which means it's describing what that church in Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem was like, but it doesn't mean we have to copycat it 100%. But there are certainly some things that we can learn from them and how it applies to us as a church. And the first thing that I want to point out is that when we talk about the church, it's not about us. It's not about us as individuals. It's about Jesus because he is the head of this church. The church does not exist to serve you or serve me, right? It's not here to cater to our individual preferences. We exist to glorify God and make disciples. And so we as a church are committed to that 100%. Francis Chan once described a... um, an encounter he had, service was over, he was greeting people by the door, and, and this man came up to him that looked kind of upset, you know, disappointed, and, and Francis Chan asked him what was wrong. And he said, well, I just didn't really get much out of the service today. And Francis Chan looked at him and said, well, that's okay, it wasn't a, we weren't worshiping you anyways, right? Often we make worship, we make church, we make what we do about us and what we enjoy and what we want. And there's nothing wrong with having personal preferences. Don't hear me say that. God has created us uniquely with those things in mind. But when the when it comes to the bottom line, church isn't about us and catering to our needs. It's about worshiping him and glorifying glorifying him. And when we may, we need to make sure we keep that our number one priority. And we're a congregational church, right? We're not a democracy in the traditional sense of the word. In fact, we could call us a theocracy, right? Because we acknowledge that the pastor is not the head of the church. The, the spiritual council isn't the head of the church. Consistory isn't the head of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And so when we gather together to make decisions, whether it's through consistory or the congregation as a whole, we don't make decisions based on what we think we want. We should be making decisions based on what we think Jesus wants for this church. Searching scripture, prayerfully considering what is going on and seeking to uh, pursue him and all those things. And so we see that it's not about us because Jesus is the head of the church. Second thing is that it's not about the building. Remember, the church is the people. And I've already talked about this a lot, but, but one thing I want to highlight for us here today is, is when Scripture talks about the church being the body, right? With Jesus as the head, we are all then individual parts of the body. And, and together, you know, when Scripture says you are the body of Christ, it's you plural. It's y'all are the body of Christ. And so when he says that we are the body of Christ, we are called to be active participants, not passive spectators, right? A body is meant to be in action and move and do things. For those of you who aren't aware, I love sports, right? And one of my favorite things on fall Sunday afternoons in the fall is to go home and watch football. Now, don't get to watch the Buffalo Bills play very much because we live in Ohio, but anything will do, right? In football, I've heard is described as as 70,000 people desperately in need of exercise watching 22 people desperately in need of a break, right? We don't want to be like that as a church, right? We're not called to be passive spectators in the stands watching what God is doing. We are called to actively participate and come alongside uh, God and, and how he's working in the world. And again, look at Acts, just briefly, look at Acts chapter 2. We looked at those four characteristics But then the paragraph goes on to describe how they cared for one another and how they loved one another, right? They sold their things in order to meet people's needs. Again, and I don't think God is calling us to go and empty our bank accounts and give all our money away, right? God wants us to be good stewards of our resources and care for those that he has entrusted to us. But we certainly are called to care for one another and meet each other's needs. We're called to go out of our way, sometimes step out of our comfort zone to help And love one another. Meet a need when we're able to do so. And we're called to love sacrificially, right? Not just when it's easy or convenient, but especially when it's hard. Especially when the the person we love may not necessarily love us back or may not necessarily respond in kind. That's the kind of love that Jesus has for us, and that's the kind of love we're called to have for each other. And finally, and this is my my last point, I promise. is that church is not about just about Sunday mornings. It's about living for Christ every day. 
Again, we often talk about going to church on Sunday mornings or having a church service on Sunday mornings. And that is certainly a big part of what we do. We're called to gather together, right, in Christian community and fellowship. But we don't stop being the church when we walk out of the doors here, right? We need to be the church every single day of our lives, right? Acts chapter 2, again, describes how they met in the temple courts every day. Not saying we have to have church service every day here, right? I'm not, that's not what I, I'm getting at here. But, but we are called to be the church every day. So whether you're at work, whether you're at home with your family, whether you're in your neighborhood and community, or wherever you find yourself, you are called to be the church there. We're called to live our lives Monday through Saturday the same way that we do on Sunday mornings. That's what it means to be the church. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word, which is always true and always encourages us and challenges us to love you more. I pray, Lord, that as we as we gather here this morning uh, and, and close out our service in song, that you would continue to uh, equip us to be your church in this place. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we close our service today, we're going to sing uh, from our hymnals, number 283, We Are God's People. Again, 283, We Are God's People. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. You may go in peace.